Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Look at Acts chapter 19. This is an interesting passage, as they all are. I think I say that every week. I hope that never gets boring to you. Because it's true. Every passage is amazing. Because the Lord uses it to teach us and to grow us and to deepen us and strengthen us. And in the midst of this one, Acts chapter 19, verses 21, and yes, through 41. Okay, 20 verses. I know, I know. We're going to plug along here, right? And uh, this is an interesting one. Demetrius rises up and comes against the gospel. (laughs) There are enemies around us, right? We know that. There are enemies of the gospel. And even as we just sang, we know that the Lord is a shield to us. I, I love when you read Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. You recognize that Paul's in Ephesus where it is a center of the occult. There is demonic, uh, satanic warfare taking place all through this city. You realize what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in the epistle, that he writes to them, and he reminds them that the Lord Jesus Christ is their armor, to be clothed in Christ, to put on the full armor of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, to be strong in the strength of his might, We are in a spiritual war. There is a battle going on around us. We may not be able to see it, but we know that it's there. And we know that the Lord has already won the victory, so we get to walk in that victory, not try to get it. We already have it. The problem is most of us are always trying to get into a room that we're already in. We don't realize what it means to appropriate what God has already accomplished for us and how he's come to live within us, to do through us what we cannot accomplish on our own, how he is transforming us and shaping us and molding us to become what he's already declared us to be. How do you define culture? That's an interesting conversation, isn't it? We talk about the culture of our time. We talk about where America is. We have that conversation going on all the time. Gay and lesbian marriage taking place, uh, the degradation of morality within our society and our culture, within our communities, the breakdown of the family. We go through all these different things. And I think the greatest news that we have is that there's hope that the Lord Jesus Christ is able to turn things around. He's able to turn things around in your life personally, in your family, as well as in our neighborhoods, all across this community. Jesus Christ is the answer. And he's able to take that which looks like it's falling apart and bring it back together in a way that glorifies his name. We get to experience his peace and his joy and his love. How do we define culture? Well, I went to the dictionary on this one just to see what, you know, figured what what does Webster say, right? The beliefs, customs, practices, and social behavior of a particular nation or people. Or I like this one actually a little bit better. A group of people whose shared beliefs and practices identify the particular place, class, or time to which they belong. Beliefs, practices. What we do. What do we value? What do we look at as being important, essential? Where do we spend our time? What is it that we invest into? I love the conversation that the Word of God creates its own culture. You can travel all across the world. We were talking about this earlier with Ken and some of the other guys that went to ICM. They went with ICM over to Ukraine and Moldova and Russia. 
And I love what Ken shared. He was working next to a guy who was from Germany that had come in to help build one of the, one of the places, one of the churches they were uh, helping to build. And Ken said, man, I couldn't speak a word of German. He couldn't speak a word of English. We couldn't even communicate very well with each other in language. But it didn't matter. We were good. See, the word of God creates its own culture. God rescues us out of the dominion of Satan, out of this darkness, and places us into his very presence. We are now the people of God. And God begins to transform us through his word, through the Holy Spirit, so that our attitudes and activities begin to reflect kingdom work, kingdom mindset, ultimately Christ himself. And as a result, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. You can go to Burma, you can go to Romania, you can go to Moldova, you can go anywhere in the world. You can go right here in Albuquerque. And if you are with a brother or sister in Christ, there's something there. Because that's what God does. I would suggest to you that the impact of the gospel of grace changes lives and cultures. God changes us. And then he begins to change our surroundings through us. He begins to change our culture. Four things this morning, because I just figured I needed to throw one more in there because you're so used to three, I got to change it up. Selfish ambition, supreme confusion, singular persuasion, and a sensible reason. Acts chapter 19, verses 21 and following. This is interesting because right at the beginning of this, verses 19 through 22, we see kind of this theme begin to come out. We've had the first missionary journey. We've had the second missionary journey. Paul is now on his third missionary journey. But ultimately, the closing of the book of Acts is all about him going to Rome. And right here, we begin to see how Luke interjects the thinking of Paul that he wants to get to Rome. He says, now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia saying, after I've been there, I must see or I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Now, right here, we get a picture of what the apostle's thinking. We get this window into what he believes God's called him to do, what he's feeling impressed in his spirit to do. Paul purposed in the spirit. We're, we're not sure. Linguistically, that could mean that the spirit of God was leading him, and or it could literally mean that in his spirit, he sensed this is what he was supposed to do. Either way, he was being led by the spirit of God, and he was sensitive to what God wanted him to do, and we get this window of insight into the fact that he wants to go to Rome. Now, he got there, not exactly the way that he had, I'm sure, anticipated. That's another story for another time. In verse 23, we get this section of scripture about this chaos that erupts in Ephesus concerning the way, concerning the faith, the Christian life, the gospel of grace. Luke writes in verse 23, about that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. Disturbance means confusion, excitement, or tumult, meaning it was chaotic. Now, I want you to understand this because I think this is important. This was not just a normal confusion. This was not just a normal problem. This was satanically influenced and inspired. There's no question about that. Confusion reigns. 
What does the Bible tell us? God is not the author of what? Chaos. He's not the author of chaos. I think it's important to understand uh, how we are sensitive to the leadership of the Lord and what's going on around us. And one of the things we can immediately begin to discern is what's from God and what's not. Is chaos from God? No. Order is from the Lord. God is a God who does things decently and in order. If there's chaos, you've got to take a step back from that and go, where is this coming from? It could be fleshly. It could be carnal Christians. It could be unbelievers. But ultimately, it has at its foundation some sense of spiritual, demonic influence. So he goes on and he says, For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. And these he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Man, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. Mark that down. Write that down. Make sure you put a star there. Here we get the full motive of everything that's about to happen. Here we get the full picture of why this guy's doing what he's doing. He says, you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also, oh, oh, right, also, seriously. Let's gin up the emotion. Let's appeal to belief systems on the basis of the real motivation here, right? But also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Wow. Artemis was a fertility goddess. I won't go into all the details of the disgusting carnality and sensuality that that entails. But people literally came from all over the world Demetrius was correct about that in order to worship Artemis. The Roman equivalent to Artemis is Diana. And so a lot of people call this Diana because they were very much similar with regard to what they stood for, fertility goddesses. They had a huge temple in Ephesus to Artemis. It was considered actually at that point as one of the seven wonders of the world. People literally came from all over the world to worship Artemis at this temple. Demetrius is a silversmith who made images of Artemis to sell to worshipers. He also made images of the temple. Folks, (laughs) nothing's new under the sun, right? I remember being in Indonesia, and, and we were in Jakarta, which is outside of Jakarta, and we were there for an AMG conference. They were bringing in all the workers uh, that, that help out in um, Indonesia to Jakarta for this conference, and they said, oh, you've got to go see the Buddhist temple. It's about three or four miles outside of Jakarta, And I thought, okay, I'm game. Wow. The closer we got... All the gargoyles and all the death symbols and all this stuff. I mean, this place was decades old, centuries old. We got in there, and honestly, I I don't know that I've ever been in a place that I felt more oppressed in my spirit walking around. But you know what they were doing? It was a place to make money. 
They're running around and they got all this stuff, all these trinkets that represented this Buddhist temple and they wanted, they wanted everybody to buy it. So I had heard of about 30 people following after me, constantly badgering you, constantly trying to get you to buy something. Nothing's new under the sun. If you go to any of these places, folks, we see this in, we see it in Santa Fe. Churches are, are selling shrines. Here's a symbol of a shrine. Here, you can buy this. Look what it'll do for you. Put it in your house. Whatever. Demetrius recognizes that there's something taking place. It's hurt in his pocketbook, ultimately, and he gets all the tradesmen together, not only the ones who deal with silver, but also other trades. They were spin-off businesses. They were all making money. They were all invested in the worship of this false god, ultimately demonic worship. They were concerned about how their businesses were doing. And Demetrius, he recognizes that it's because of the gospel of grace. It's because of Paul's message in Ephesus as well as in all of Asia that this decline in his prophet was taking place. He nails it. He's not a stupid guy. I don't know what kind of charts he had. I don't know if he used Microsoft or Apple. But he figured it out. And he knew. There's something going on here. And he looked into it and he realized, oh my goodness, these people that are becoming worshipers of this God, Jesus Christ, those who are part of the way are not buying our stuff anymore. And it's become so pervasive that it's really impacting our business. So he gathers all the tradesmen together. I think it's interesting that he even knew the message, God's made with hands are no gods at all. I think that's fascinating because evidently, either firsthand or maybe even secondhand, he found out what the message was. Maybe he heard Paul. Maybe he spoke to somebody who had gone and listened to Paul. We don't know. But he nailed the message down. If you look back at Acts chapter 17, verse 29, when Paul was in Athens, Paul states this very clearly. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of men. That's been Paul's message all along. All these Gentile places were polytheistic. They worshipped everything. They even had a God to the, to the unknown, or they had an idol to the unknown God. Paul uses that in order to present the gospel in Athens, but here... He continues that message because of all the pagan idolatry taking place, and Demetrius nails it. This is what he's saying. Heaven forbid. Gods made with hands are no gods at all. So he appeals to these artisans not only from a business standpoint, which is his real motive, folks. Money's the bottom of so much of this stuff. But also he uses the worship of Artemis as a means to incite emotion, fear. Trade would fall into disrepute. You're going to lose your livelihood. You're not going to be able to take care of your families. We're going to be degraded in terms of our status within society. The temple would be regarded as worthless. People aren't going to come here anymore. We're going to lose our standing in the world right now. We're at the pinnacle. We're going to drop because of this. Artemis is going to be dethroned. I don't know what that looks like. 
But obviously what he's saying is people aren't going to respect Artemis. They're not going to come and worship her anymore. So the real issue here is not the worship of Artemis. Do we catch that? It's rather the loss of money or profit. Why? As a direct result of the spread, the influence, the power of the gospel of God's grace. The power of God to change lives, to change cultures. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, the New American Standard says, and wealth. King James, New King James, that technical word is mammon. The God mammon. Wealth, money. You can't serve God and at the same time serve money. It's impossible. You can't turn around and serve money and at the same time say that you're serving God. God changes us. When Christ comes to live within us, he is our strength. He begins to transform us. He begins to renew our minds. As we choose to get into the word of God, the Holy Spirit begins to teach us and enlighten us as to the greater things. And the Lord will mature us in what he's called us to be already. And folks, when you begin to mature in Christ, you cannot help but change your views on things like money. Well, there's supreme confusion that takes place as a result of this. Verse 28, when they heard this, this is all the artisans, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. (laughs) Really? Do you know how many people the theater sat? 25,000. I mean, you talk about no small disturbance concerning the way. That's how Luke started out this this whole story, right? I mean, 25,000 people. The whole city, it says, is filled with rage, filled with confusion. Contrast that to what Luke has said over and over and over again about the apostles and the servants of Christ, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What a difference. What a contrast. They don't even know why they're there. They got caught up in all the rush and all the passion. Great as Artemis, great as Artemis. And here they all rush right to the theater. Unbelievable. Along the way, they didn't realize where Paul was. They couldn't find him, evidently. He was probably teaching somewhere. All of a sudden, this huge commotion erupts. They do find Gaius and Aristarchus. And they drag them along with them. The word confusion means to mix, to pour together. It's all mixed up. Can you imagine about 25,000 people? And it may have been more than that. We just know that 25,000 could be in the theater. There's a huge amount of people coming together, yelling, screaming, running, rushing. Everybody's in a mess. Reminds me of driving in the Philippines. I don't know. 
<laughs> Have you ever done that? Man, I just shut my eyes and thank God he's in control, you know? I go, Lord. My taxi driver actually one time started to fall asleep, and I elbowed him. I said, Lord, you put me right here. You gave me energy and strength. I'm gonna, I'm, I don't know if I'm taking over for you, but I'm going to make sure this guy doesn't go to sleep, you know? <laughs> Crazy. Filled with rage, crying out, filled with confusion. They grab these two men and they pull them in. Supreme confusion. Can I remind you, this is not from the Lord. This is satanic. Folks, when when people begin to have their lives changed by the gospel of God's grace, when people's lives are transformed, our worldviews begin to change. The things we used to do, suddenly we realize that they weren't that important. We begin to weigh things from an eternal and a temporal perspective. We begin to understand that the things of this earth really aren't that worthwhile. And we begin to realize the eternal things are greater. And we get to walk with God in peace, in love, in joy. We get to experience the Lord every moment of every day of our lives. And I love what David said earlier, whether we feel him or not, the fact is the word of God states that he lives within us, that he is our strength, and we get to experience him. Contrast the peace of Paul and what's going on with the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ versus what this city is going through because of false satanic worship. Filled with rage and confusion rather than filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the peace of God. Well, there's a singular persuasion that takes place. In verse 33, some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander. And we don't know much about Alexander other than that he was Jewish. And he was obviously a leader there. Why did they conclude that all of this hubaloo, if you want to put it that way, was because of Alexander? Well, the Jews put him forward. And Alexander stands forward at this theater with 25,000 people going crazy and emotions with his hands. And his intention was to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a sing- single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, well, what are we talking about? Well, the Jews couldn't stand Christianity. Some of them. They didn't didn't want the Ephesians believing that they agreed with Paul. They were monotheistic in their practices, yes, so there was a similarity, obviously. But they didn't want people thinking that they had the same message as Paul did. And so when they put Alexander out there in order to speak to the entire crowd. What did the crowd see? They saw somebody who was Jewish, somebody who would never condone or agree with the worship of Artemis. And as a result, they begin to drown him out. They don't even want to listen to what he has to say, and they are singular in what they say. That is, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Wow, two hours. Can you imagine what a mess this was? I I can just see the officials of the city wringing their hands. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Trying to figure out what what was the cause of all this. Demetrius 
standing in the background, just smiling. Oh, yeah, we got them now. (laughs) We're going to make a lot of money off of this. Phenomenal. Their fanaticism and the satanic origin of this entire drama is so clear. The chaos, the confusion that not only fills the city but fills these individuals, the rage that they're filled with, the fact that they rush into the theater as a crowd and they don't even know why they're there. I think that's uh, Luke's humor coming out a little bit. I mean, all this drama and they don't even know what's going on. It's like they're out of their minds. So there's a singular persuasion. There's also a sensible reason. What what happens? After quieting the crowd, the town clerk says, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and to do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available, let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. And after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. The town clerk is really the executive of the city, probably akin to our, our mayor. He gets up and they all recognize immediately who he is. They obviously quiet down. They've been shouting for two hours how great Artemis is. And, and the mayor, if you want to think of it that way, comes before them and begins to reason with them a little bit. Hey, everybody knows that Artemis is the great one. Everybody understands that her image fell from heaven. It was probably, uh, in all actuality, historically, it was probably a meteorite. They grabbed it and put it into the temple, created this huge temple, became one of the seven wonders of the earth. And he appeals to them, I'm with you. I agree with you. We all worship Artemis. But then it's kind of interesting because what he does is he says, Gaius and Aristarchus, the two men that were companions of Paul, they haven't done anything wrong. Now that's amazing, isn't it? In fact, if Demetrius and these other artisans, if if they want to bring charges against these guys, hey, the courts are open. Go for it. But let's make sure we do things decently and in order. Now, I I think that's amazing because, folks, where does authority, where does leadership in our civil government, where does it come from? It comes from the Lord, doesn't it? It comes from God. And obviously, this man is not a Christian. I mean, is that pretty obvious? You don't have to study too hard to figure that one out, right? He's a worshiper of Artemis. And yet, the Lord uses this individual to help protect Gaius, Aristarchus, Paul, his companions, and the proclamation of the gospel in Ephesus as well as throughout Asia. Don't miss that. 
We can look at things and we can say, hey, everything's fallen apart. But the Lord still has, in positions of leadership or influence within our political spectrum, Perhaps people who don't even believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We wouldn't even call them Christians. And yet they're there. God is able to use them in order to bring order to society. To even protect the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be in prayer for them. In fact, we're commanded to be in prayer for them. Amen? How often do we do that? How often do we really do that? How often do we get into all kinds of debates? And I I get it. I totally get it. But how often do we get in all these debates about how these people aren't doing the right thing and they're not this and that and the other thing and we got to get rid of them because they're not good leaders and all this, but we don't even pray for them. Hmm. Some of us, and God forbid it, honestly, some of us don't vote. And I got to tell you something, folks. I believe that is wrong. I believe as a people, we need to be voting and we need to make sure that we're voting for people who have integrity and who reflect our values. I think that's essential. We can't divorce ourselves out of that. No. So this guy appeals to their religious fervor. And then he brings some reason into this. You know what's interesting? He actually appealed to them with regard to their, to their pocketbooks again. I don't know if you catch this or not. This city had special favor with Rome. And what this mayor, in effect, was saying to them is, you've created quite a situation here to the point where nobody can justify what's going on. And as a result, we may fall out of favor with Rome. That's code for you may end up, we all may end up having to pay higher taxes because we'll lose the privileges that we have. (laughs) It's interesting how people are motivated by money. So they do. They settle down. They go on their way. The impact of the gospel changes lives and cultures. How's the gospel impacted your life? How have you changed? How are you changing? How are we changing as the people of God? What are we becoming And isn't it the Lord that is able to accomplish that in our lives? Isn't that the beautiful truth? We we don't have to try to wake up every day and, and just, oh, all the effort in order to produce fruit. God's the one that produces the fruit through us. The question is, how are we focused on the Lord? How are we walking with the Lord? How are we spending time with the Lord? How is God renewing our minds and transforming us so that the attitudes and actions of our lives become a natural outflow? of who we are in Christ. Because remember what Paul said to the Ephesian believers in chapter 4, verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Well, chapters 1 through 3 take place before chapters 4, right? I I think I got my numbers right. And chapters 1 through 3 are all about who we are in Christ. And as a result, what our lives should begin to look like how we begin to reflect the glory of God in and through us because God has come to dwell within us. I think it's interesting when you begin to think of beliefs, what culture means, the values that we have. God changes us. 
We, we change from believing a lie to believing truth. Right? We were children of the wrath, even as the rest. We were under the, the power of the prince of darkness. We weren't seeing clearly, if at all. And God comes into our lives and he begins to give us understanding about himself, what he's declared us to be. We go from believing a lie to believing the truth, from seeing dimly, darkly, maybe not at all, to seeing more clearly because of what God's done for us. And that changes everything. We go from superstition to true understanding. Don't ever believe the idea that we're not superstitious. We are very superstitious. I know when I played baseball, I did not step on that chalk line. (laughs) Didn't do it. And to this day, when I'm watching a baseball game, I watch to see whether the guy does or not. Don't you? you, Well, I don't know. Maybe you don't watch baseball. (laughs) We're superstitious. Why? Because when we wake up in the morning, we go, oh, I got to have my devotions. And if I don't have my devotions, then I'm not going to be blessed through the rest of the day. If something happens bad in that day, we look back and go, oh, it's because of this, this, this. Or if we do something that we consider to be good and something good happens in that day, what do we do? It's because I had my devotions and I woke up at five o'clock. Forget about six. Isn't that what we do? Yeah, see, when I get the frozen moment, I know I nailed you. (laughs) Nobody wants to say, yeah, I saw one person shaking their head, yes. Praise God for your honesty, right? We all do that, folks. God has to renew our minds because we have a lot of fear. We have a lot of fear. John tells us perfect love casts out fear. So we move from fear and we move to peace. We move from hate and we move to love. Because we begin to realize how much God loves us and what he did for us. And that begins to impact us deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where we say, Lord, the most reasonable thing we can do is to give you our lives. To let you be who you are in and through our lives. We go from me, all about me. Is there one commercial on TV that isn't about, if we buy this product, what it will do for me? What's the Taco Bell commercial right now? All your life you've been told to share. Share this, share that, share that, share this, share this. Now we've got something from you, for you from Taco Bell you don't have to share with anybody. Wow. I'm not sharing. (laughs) Me to others. Me to others. The temporal material prosperity versus eternal prosperity. What are we investing our money into? What are we investing our money into, folks? I love seeing these kids up here. Do you realize the eternal impact that has in their lives? Do you realize that these kids, these college students coming back from San Francisco are saying, you know what, we're concerned about our community. We want to go door to door here. We want to go help the homeless right here in Albuquerque. Man, that's a work of the Lord. That's awesome. Folks, what are we investing into? The temporal or the eternal? How do we spend our time? How is God changing us 
from a selfish ambition to a selfless service. How is the gospel of God's grace, the Lord Jesus Christ coming to live within you, how's that transforming you, transforming your family, transforming your neighborhood, transforming our church, transforming our communities, our state, our nation, our world. Because I believe that the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can do just that. Do we agree? Do we agree? And are our actions showing that we really do believe that? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.